0: Welcome to Radical Resilience, the podcast. I'm your host, Pega Kadkodian. Resilience is more than just learning to bounce back from adversity. It is both a spiritual and practical journey of returning to the essence of who you are. With Radical Resilience, life can throw anything at you, and no matter how tossed around you get, no matter how hard you fall, you have the ability to get back up and come home to yourself. Here are the inspirational stories of women who embody Radical Resilience and learn the resources you need to reclaim your passion, purpose, and power. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Radical Resilience, the podcast. My name is Pega Kadkodian, I am your host, and today I am joined by a truly remarkable woman. She is someone that I have known for years. We used to work together in another life, I would say. We were colleagues in the world of the automotive industry, believe it or not. When we found each other, we realized that we had so much in common, both being consummate artists and uh, really spirit-driven individuals, we just became fast friends and subsequently have stayed in each other's lives. The reason I asked her on the show today is because her story, for me, is the embodiment of resilience. So without further ado, I'm so pleased to introduce you. Uh, to Ms. Christina Helena. She is a writer, performer, and speaker, and she is going to share with us her incredible journey to the embodiment of who she's become today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Pega. I really would love to start by having you tell our guests a little bit about where the journey began for you in terms of when you found out what was going on with you physically. I was
1: 19 years old. I was in college at the time living in New York City. And one night I got this really sharp pain in my chest to the point that I fell to the ground in pain. But in a sense, it was beyond that pain I left my body because I was also having an out-of-body experience. And it's the most profound moments of my life. And it's taught me a lesson that I think I've grappled with the rest of my life. I heard a voice say, you're sick, dying, and if you, the you, capitalized, don't do anything about it, you're going to die. It was profound. It was intense. But you know what? You know when you get that funny gut feeling and something just tells you something is this or that or whatever, but you just know it's true? That's what happened. And my life became about that funny gut feeling. And of course, that moment was so powerful for me that it didn't take more than 30 seconds to pick up the phone, book a flight, leave New York, go back to where my family was because I I felt the intensity of what I heard was severe. and Whatever it was, I thought to myself, you need support from your mom and dad. So I flew home and within four weeks, I found out I had pancreatic cancer. And within two weeks, I had a Whipple surgery, which entails the removal of five of my organs, either completely or partially. So what dictates whether or not you need an organ completely removed or not is whether or not the tumors have spread onto the organs. So the tumors that I had on my pancreas had spread over five of my organs. The reason they only removed part of my organ for some organs, was because it hadn't affected the entire organ, so they could salvage some of my stomach. They could salvage some of my small intestine. So I'm sure everyone at this point is wondering what organs does she not have. Um, let's start with the duodenum, which I had no idea what that was, and <laughs> maybe a lot of people do, but I I knew nothing about the duodenum. That's completely gone. And my pancreas, my gallbladder, and half of my small intestine, and half of my stomach. <laughs> and essentially, what they do is reroute and reconstruct your digestive system in order for you to live. So
0: there you are, you're 19 years old, you have this, this sense that something is off. And then you get this loud voice coming in and telling you that you need to pay attention, and that you're sick. And if that's not the definition of divine intervention, I don't know. And of course, you you go down this path of, of inquiry, which thank God you did, because I think so many people do get that gut feeling or they, or they hear a, a, a whisper of something being off and they ignore it. And thank God you didn't. You paid attention to it. And it turned out that there was in fact something wrong. So what goes through your head in that moment? You
1: know, I was pretty blown away because I was young. I was in college. My interests were in everything else but the pancreas. To be honest with you, I didn't even know what a pancreas was. And I was completely numb and blown away that I had a surgeon in front of me telling me what organs he's going to remove out of my body. And I was thinking, I don't understand. I don't understand. How can you be alive without the organs? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. I can't really comprehend what you're saying. It became... Predominantly about survival because the news was so potent, so shocking, so out of my realm. It was, I was an athlete. I was super healthy. I was, you know, at that point, I think I was one of the youngest people in the world to have ever been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I've recently met another beautiful young woman who was 19 when she was diagnosed as well, which is amazing to share stories with. But I was so, such an anomaly to this particular disease and I was in complete shock. And I have a particular type of personality that just goes into overdrive and in emergency situations and just really compartmentalizes everything to the side and survives. I'm really good at surviving. And that's what I did. That's really what I did. I, I shut down all my feelings. I got very pragmatic. I got very realistic and I thought about everything in a way of what is the best choice to survive. I started to interview surgeons because I learned very quickly that just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you're a great doctor for everyone. And I will disclaimer this with like, I have an immense respect for doctors and everyone in the medical world. But I also feel that it's important to find the right fit of a doctor for you. And I kept searching for a doctor that I trusted. It's so important that you choose a surgeon that you trust. Because you're essentially saying, hey, here's my life. I know that you're going to do the best you can. But there is a psycho-spiritual relationship that goes with surviving something like this. It's not just physical. It's not just the medication. It's not just the surgery and how well the surgeon does it. It also has to do a lot with mindset. I never thought I was going to die. Not once, not once there. I, when I found out, I thought to myself, huh, what's this about? Like, really? Like, I know that sounds insane right now, but One of the thoughts I had when I found out I had six months to live was, you know, I'm really shy about sharing this, to be honest with you. I walked out of my garage and my mom told me I had six months to live and Mm -hmm. I stood outside and I just looked up and I thought to myself, what is it that you want me to be so strong for? Because accepting the reality that I was gonna die I was not having it. That wasn't going to happen. So if I wasn't going to die, then I took on the reality of, well, you need me to be stronger, whatever it is, let's say God and whatever. And by God, I mean, whatever that means to you, whether religious or spiritual. But it just felt like one of these moments in my life where I was going to transform and I had a lot to learn. And I had to persevere and prove something to myself that I could persevere. And what I was faced with during this journey was when you're cornered by death and your own mortality and you have to survive, you have to make the right choice, regardless of how painful it is, regardless of how scared you are regardless of how bad every part of your body says, oh no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. No, that doesn't even exist. It's about life and death. You have to do it. And I came across a lot of those moments. There There was so much I had to keep walking forward with such faith, bravery, and courage, not knowing if I ultimately would wake up from this, I don't know, I think it was like eight or nine hour operation where they had to remove five of my organs and reconstruct my digestive system. So it becomes a true test of resilience. You know how
0: fascinated I am with the idea of resilient and what makes a human being resilient in that moment. Because you speak to some, some really important themes, right? The idea of turning your eyes up. And saying, what is it that you need me to be so strong for? That that was the frame you choose to look that you chose to look at this whole thing through and that you that it became about faith for you. You never once bought into the idea that you were going to die. That was just not an option for you. And so what was it that gave you that resilience in that moment to say, Nope, death is not an option? That's
1: such a great question. I think I'm gonna spend the rest of my life exploring that. I don't know. I think, I think it's the human spirit to explore that in oneself, or at least that's my perspective. Like that's, I, I spend every single day thinking about that. I mean, after this all happened, I went and studied consciousness studies and I, I think about intuition and impulse every single day. I, I write about it every single day. I don't know. I don't know that we can know. I don't know that we're supposed to know. I don't know what that is. Mm. Um, I don't know that people are born with it. I don't know if it's developed. I can say that I do believe in impulse, instinct, intuition. For me, they fall within the same same circle. I've always had a really good relationship with that part of myself. Those impulses and instincts. I don't know why, but from a very young age, I have a lot of memories where I had moments where I'm like, "Mm, yeah, I don't like that. Mm, Yeah, I like that. What's that about? And I would hear these voices or get these gut feelings. And I would listen, or at least I've been intrigued by it most of my life. I will say this that whether you're born with it or not, I do think it's something that can be developed because I think it's a relationship that gets stronger with faith and trust. The more you listen to your impulses and honor them. That's the difference. It's one thing to listen. It's another thing to be courageous and honor it against all fear, against whatever perhaps our trauma or our mind is saying in the time, trying to push us away from that impulse, away from that instinct, because most of the time it's taking us in a new direction. Um, Honoring it is a very big deal. And the more you honor it, the more you trust it, because it continues to be there for you. And I have countless and countless of moments where my instinct not only took me in the right direction has literally saved my life. I mean, it's like the running, my brother calls me Catwoman. He's like, you're running out alive, slow down here. But I can sit here and tell you about other moments where it's like been super dangerous. And I'm like on the verge of like 30 seconds from now, you're either going to be dead or alive, Christina, what are you going to do? And it's just like, I completely surrender to my, my impulse. And when it comes up in those moments, I don't second guess it. I don't second guess it at all.
0: I'm in agreement with you. I don't think it's for us to know why the human spirit is as naturally resilient as it is. But if we can listen to that impulse, which is to be resilient. And if we lean into the the natural tendency of the human spirit to be resilient, that the way is made clear for us. I believe that even if, you don't know that you have that impulse that you can you can clear things out of the way that are preventing you from knowing your own inherent desire to be resilient. If we can really be with that intuition, we are naturally resilient. We have an impulse to live. We have a desire to keep going. And sometimes a lot of stuff gets in the way. But the lesson I'm gleaning from what you're saying is that what saved you in that moment and what continues to save you is your trust and faith in your own inner guidance in that intuition that you have continued to hone that was natural for you and I think all human beings are intuitive I think many of us suppress our natural intuitive abilities but for you it was something that you've trusted you know ever since you were little and it's, it's been the guiding force for you. And, and so I, my hope is that the folks who are listening will take that and say, yeah, if I can just listen to my own inner guidance and my own inner sensibilities, that the answers I seek and the resilience that I know I have inside of me will unfold.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I will add one other aspect to that that I find important because i really truly believe in the psycho spiritual experience i think you know and to be fair to the argument i always try to look at things from both sides and and i do this to myself all the time like it's i can say yes i listen to my instinct and my impulse and everyone should listen to their instinct and their impulse at all times and just live by that i don't think it's that easy and i don't think it's that simple either well it can be super simple I don't think we can negate the fact that we have a mind, we have a brain, we have a neurosis. And I think that trauma, things that happen in life that are of the physical experience of a a mortal body do affect us, right? So we are all one. I don't think there's a duality in the human species. We are the physical form and we're the spiritual form simultaneously at the same time. I do think that our impulses and instincts, uh, for me, because of the particular experience that I've had, I feel they come from my spiritual identity, my spiritual self, right? Whether that be some connection to a higher, higher power, or whether that be to some inner existence within myself, right? That that impulse truly just comes from myself. What's important Is also to take into consideration what we've been through in regards to trauma or experiences in the physical life. And the reason I say that is because often some of my girlfriends will ask me, like, how can you trust your gut so much? Well, I trust my gut so much because I do the work to clear and heal the trauma as much as possible. So when I hear an impulse, I can trust it. I think sometimes trauma can get tricky, right? And we can start to have inner stories coming from our brains telling us don't do this, do this, this, and that, right. Taking you in whichever direction. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I find a direct correlation. And the more you heal oneself, the more you heal traumas, the more of an open freedom you have to that part of yourself, where your instincts, impulses, and intuitions live. And the easier, the trust, arrives to be able to, to trust them and then continue to trust them. So it's all a one big loving relationship. It doesn't happen immediate. It takes time to continue trusting it more and more and more and more, but it's not one of those things where just trust your gut and go with it. Well, no, there's more work to be done.
0: Yeah. Very, very well put. I want to transition to what happened for you then you're, you're 19, you've just had this surgery, you are now in a space of surviving and death is not an option. What happens next?
1: It's easy to assume that once your treatment is over that everything goes back to normal, but that's not necessarily the case. There's a lot of maintenance. There's a lot of the body. From In my case, I had to learn what I could eat, what I couldn't eat. I had to learn essentially how to eat again and not the actual physical activity of eating, but it was nearly impossible for me to consume anything without having extreme amount of pain pain in my body. So it was very challenging for me for at least about three years in regards to eating. And I had this big scar across my body that had me slightly hunched over for about nine, 10 months. And it took me nine to 10 months to be able to walk up and stand up straight again So there was still the, as there will always be, because the scar doesn't go away, but there was always that constant reminder every single day that this is not over, it's not over. And it took a long time. It took a long time to be physically okay. But I think what was, I don't want to say shocking, maybe not shocking now, is what happens to you when you face your mortality at such a young age.
0: Dealing with your own mortality, coming face to face with that, what did that do? emotionally? And and how did you then take that and ultimately decide to make it your art and and what you're doing in the world now? When my
1: mom first told me that I had six months to live, everything that was unresolved within me came up. Because I thought, oh, oh, no, 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 I'm going to die. And this, this, and this that I haven't done, I won't get to do, and this and this and this that I haven't said, I won't get to say, and this, and this and this and this and this that is eating me up alive within, I haven't dealt with. Oh, oh no, 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 this can't happen. It became very evident to me what was unresolved within me. And I think mortality does that to the human spirit. When we are faced with our physical body dying of uh, things that are unresolved within ourselves, with relationships in our lives they come right up. And when I survived cancer, I was haunted by my mortality. I was, I was, I felt like I was being chased by it because I couldn't live in the delusion that I was going to die at some old age, which is very easy to do when you're young. Like, oh, I'm not
0: going to die until I'm 104.
1: No, like I could essentially die tomorrow. And it put this immense pressure on me emotionally, physically, psychologically, mostly, to resolve all those little messages that popped up for me because I didn't, I wasn't afraid of death when my mom told me I was ill. I was afraid of dying unresolved. That scared me more than dying. I don't know why.
0: Because you were like determined to live and yet when you're faced with the possibility um, it becomes very clear that, oh my God, there's things that that I have yet to to do that I haven't done. And so it, it sort of lights that yeah, fire. Yeah, I think it
1: does. And, and to take it further than that, I particularly think, and I think I thought this before, but never necessarily had words for it. Life is not necessarily about how long you live and what you do. It's about how you do it and how you feel. You know, there's people who like travel the world their whole life and have like an entire resume of experiences, but if there wasn't some inner peace within you while you had all those experiences, did you really experience them? And I think that's what I felt in that moment was, Christina, you've lived 19 yeah. years. and, But how have you been living these 19 years or the last 10 years? What has been going on inside of you? And it really put pressure and, and immediacy to the need to live in a particular way, which for me is with a sense of peace, like resolution for my life, myself, and the things that keep me up at night.
0: That's just such a beautiful thing. And it's a theme I, I hear over and over again with so many of our guests, that it was those defining moments, those, whether it was being faced with mortality, or, you know, the rock bottom moments that become the wake up call, for them to ultimately begin to really live their lives differently, or to just even begin to live at all, which is in some cases why I think you know those those dark nights of the soul are so important. You know, I think people try and avoid pain, but oftentimes pain is the opening for the expansion of our minds and the development of our of our spiritual path. Um, I would love to hear from you then what it was that inspired you to take this incredible journey of resilience and perseverance and turn it not only into art because you are in the midst of creating, you've written this solo show all about your story, um, but that you've been inspired to take it even beyond that. It all
1: started when I was in Ojai, California. And after a five-hour meditation, the shaman said to me, Christina, you need to write. And my whole body went cold. I mean, I can still feel it. I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. And he recognized that I was completely um, the, like, not defensive, but like, I don't wanna listen to this. It was on my way to exit. And he said, Christina, you have to write the truth. If you don't write the truth, it's not gonna work. And I knew exactly what he meant in that moment. So when the shaman told me I needed to write, I knew what he meant, that writing was going to be my tool for helping to heal myself. And one night I was in Buffalo, New York on this automotive job that we had together. And I was in this extreme pain and I had every right to just run to my bed, cradle up my pillow and just lay there. And I thought to myself, you have two choices right now. You can go to that bed and you can cry and you can hurt. And it's justifiable because you're you're literally gutted. And you're in pain or you can go to that computer and finally write your story and i did i wrote eight hours a day and i finished the first draft of my solo show in which i wrote the entire story of battling cancer and what it was like after but it took a long time to finish the play because it took a long time for me to heal and then the play ultimately became the vehicle that helped me heal because in order to write everybody else's perspective authentically and truthfully, like my mom, my dads, and some of the doctors that I was dealing with, I actually had to see myself from their perspective. And the second I saw myself from their perspective, it gave me a whole new light. It gave me a different idea of the circumstances and that helped me heal. Now, I'm not going to say that was easy. It's not necessarily easy to see yourself from somebody else's perspective because Every part of your body's like, no, 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 no. I want it to be this way. I want to act out or I, I don't want to see it from my mother's perspective. I'm, my point of view is justifiable and that's it. Well, I can't write a play. I can't write a truthful story if I'm not willing to see it from their perspective. So that took time because it took time to forgive the anger or the perspectives that other people had that I didn't agree with it took time to understand their humanity and to see that I am them and they are me. We're just reacting differently mm. based on the individual experience of life we've all had. And when I was able to do that continuously and continuously, then I was able to complete the script. Mm. And it's been pretty fascinating to perform these 40 characters who are all real people in my life and to really it's It's a whole different level of healing to not only write the perspective, but then stand on a stage and become the embodiment of my mom and to see me dying. Like my mom had to watch her daughter face her mortality, and I can't imagine anything harder for a parent than that. And to play my mother watching me dying is so powerful and allows me to continuously fill myself with an immense amount of compassion and love and understanding and acceptance for who my mom is and her own story and her own journey. Mm. So it's been a pretty fascinating experience and that's where the idea of My Scar is Sexy came from.
0: So you are able to take everything that had happened to you and utilize it not only as a way to heal, but to create something and to bring art into the world and to use your art as healing, which is such a remarkable thing. And subsequently have been inspired to take this message and expand upon it and and have a broader reach and and tell your story in a bigger way. So can you um, speak to that a little bit in terms of what inspired you to now become a speaker and get this message out there?
1: Yeah. Uh, in regards to becoming a speaker, I think it was just a natural parallel um, as a solo performer. It was simply telling the story without utilizing the characters and as a public speaker in the automotive world, I think it was just a natural transition for me, and I felt that after the small amount of feedback I was getting from the solo show, that there was a place for it also as a talk and one of the first talks that I did was for A conference in San Diego called Thrive Union for the Momentum Conference and I was able to do a talk there called My Scar is Sexy and the idea of that was basically my story about how I came to love the most traumatized parts of myself and then how those actually become the sexiest things about me because that is what is my unique identity. And it's not just about your physical scars, it's psychological, it's spiritual, they are emotional scars. But the thing that I think we're most afraid of within ourselves, whatever our traumas are, should you dare to face it and allow it to create this new you, it actually becomes the sexiest thing about you because that is what allows you to be so uniquely you, an individual with your own sense of self and your own identity. But I think... And this is not easy, of course, because trauma is painful. It's in order to heal from trauma, you must go through a lot of pain, facing it and talking about it and dealing with it or writing it or thinking about it. And it takes time. It's not quick. So it also requires your resilience and persistence to stay with it, because ultimately what you want is to heal from it and not be controlled by it. And when you get to that place... It's like, yeah, my scar is sexy. Yes, my 13-inch scar is sexy. Like, it's cool as hell. But also who I've become, the esoteric self, not the exoteric mm-hmm. self. You know, I say, prettiness goes away. <laughs> it already has. And I don't particularly like it. But evolution and aging is just part of the deal. So if you don't really love yourself internally, who you are, what you stand for, what your beliefs are, what your value systems are, it's going to be painful. If the constant love comes from the exoteric self, what you look like, how skinny you are, how beautiful you are, how other people perceive your beauty, what you think beauty is, and et cetera, et cetera. And that's where the idea of my scar is sexy comes from, that let your wounds take you on this journey that will be painful. I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to be easy or feel good. Let that turn you into the sexiest thing about you because only you can be that. Only you can take full power over what keeps you up at night, over what trauma is within you. And only you know the answer to that. You know, Mm -hmm. we all keep so many secrets. Nobody knows your secrets better than you. And nobody will find out your secrets other than you. And it's up to you to tell yourself your secrets and face them. Otherwise, they will just stay hidden and act out, I think, within you in this physical life. And that's really what my talk was about at the Momentum Conference called My Scar is Sexy. It's such a
0: beautiful message to close with for our listeners, you know, to really recognize that sometimes the, the things that bring us to our knees are the very things that allow us to blossom into who we're meant to become and really are the most beautiful aspect of ourselves. So thank you so much for that message, for so vulnerably and openly sharing your story. Again, I, I continue to, to stand in awe and admiration of everyone who comes on this show and is willing to, uh, to show up and to be um, in a space of, of service through sharing their stories. So I appreciate you so much. Um, we will, of course, have all of your social media links in the show notes so people can listen to those talks, and um, also have a way of following you on social media channels as well. Christina, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate you Thank you, you so
1: Pega. It really was a pleasure to be here.
0: We will be back next week for another episode of Radical Resilience, the podcast. For now, this is your host, Pega Cadcodian, wishing you so much love, light, and aloha from my heart to yours. Namaste. I'm Pega Cadcodian. Thank you for listening to Radical Resilience, the podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Be sure to go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and rate. And remember to share this with all the amazing women in your life. Join us next week for another episode of Radical Resilience, the podcast.